Come on, amen. That was awesome. What's up, guys? What's up? How are you guys doing? Sounding good, sounding good. Come on. Well, I'm excited to be with you guys tonight. Um, uh, I just want to thank Pastor Corey for inviting me. Love your, your pastor here, David. Just give it up for them for coming on. <laughs> Also, well, my, my name is Nico. I'm here in Raleigh. I'm one of the leaders of a, a parachurch ministry called Ignite Movement. And our heart is to build vibrant Christian communities on college campuses and cities across America. And um, I'm, I'm married. This September will be three years. Come on. And uh, I have a, a one-year-old girl. Her name is Evie, and she just mastered walking. So she's, yeah, she literally thinks she's running the house now. So, and we have another one on the way in November. So marriage has been great. <laughs> Come on, but I'm excited. I'm excited for what God is going to do in our hearts tonight. I'm full of expectation and faith that God wants to meet each of us in a special way. How many of you guys are believing for that tonight? A few of you guys, some of you guys, come on. Well, my prayer for us tonight is that none of us will leave the same way that we came in tonight, that we'll all leave looking more like Jesus, talking more like Jesus, walking more like Jesus, because it's something about being in his presence. And sometimes we, we think about being in his presence, it's like the goosebumps and all that type of stuff. No, it's like, it's, it's moments like this, it's conversations, it's worship, it's diving into his word. We're, we're literally standing before him in a place of, of worship. And even as teaching of his word is happening, like, I believe that the purpose and the ultimate goal of the word of God is to transform us into his image, that we'll be image barriers and imitators of Christ. And that is what he desires to do. Anytime we're in settings like this, anytime we're doing private devotion with the Lord and through his word, he's wanting to use the word to transform us into his image. And so that's why I believe we're all going to leave this place looking a little more like Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, you're already looking a little more like Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Come on. <clears throat> Come on. Well, I know over the last few weeks, um, you guys have been diving deep into uh, the topic of the way of Jesus, teachings around the way of Jesus, and the different aspects in which Jesus calls us to embody him. And tonight, I want to talk about one of the ways that one of uh, what I believe to be one of the greatest ways of embodying Christ and living out the way of Jesus is, is what defines us as Christians, is, is what the famous theologian uh, A.W. Tozer said is the most important thing about us, is some of the areas that Jesus continually confronted the religious people of his day, is what Paul spoke of when he said, all of my success and my education, my accolades and my accomplishment, I consider all those things as rubbish, as garbage in comparison to the suppressing and the, the uh, infinite knowledge of Christ. It is the only way in which we can live as believers in the way of Christ it is knowing him. It is knowing God. 
And that's what I want to talk about today. And when I'm talking about knowing God, I'm not talking about a, a intellectual or creedal knowledge of God. I'm talking about a personal and intimate relationship with God. I've heard someone that was doing a testimony says, I wanted to, I wanted to have a personal relationship with God. And this is what he is inviting us into, not just religious uh, uh, activity that is fueled by uh, duty or that is fueled by obligation, but he is inviting us into a, a heart-connected love and devotion for him that is fueled by delight and desire. That our love for him and our our service to God is not no longer driven by fear or driven by, I have to do this because that's what it, it means to do, to be a good Christian, because it's my duty. But when you move into relationship with God, everything changes. Everything switches from duty to delight and desire. And I believe that Jesus is the example there is no one in biblical or historical history that has shown us what it looks like to love God and to know God than Jesus Christ himself. One of my favorite teachers, a guy named Mike Bickle, he says, it takes God to love God. And it takes God to know God. So it actually takes looking at God the Son to understand what it looks like to know God the Father. And all throughout scripture, he gives us through his life what it looks like to live in relationship with a father and with a God that loves us and that desires to be with us. And so as we look particularly at the gospel of John, we see Jesus displaying through the gospel and his public ministry. We see him doing great and miraculous things, but all of those things that we see Jesus do was an overflow of his relationship with God. Christ, again, is our ultimate example, and his entire life in ministry was lived out of relationship. The things that he said was because he knew God. He said what he said because he knew God. He did what he did because he knew God. He lived the way that he lived because he knew God, not just a theological understanding of God, but a personal and intimate relationship with God. Actually, uh, in John 5, when he healed this guy who was like sick for 38 years and and Jesus came and, and healed him, and that's like what he does, and he's great at it. And so Jesus heals this guy, and of course, you would think people would be happy and excited, but some people are like, okay, what's, this is crazy. And Jesus responds, he says, I only do what I see the Father do. Every miracle was an overflow of Jesus' relationship with the Father. We see it throughout the book of John, the whether he's turning the water into wine in the wedding or Jesus cleansing the temple or he's healing the man that was blind from birth or he's raising Lazarus from the dead or walking on the water or forgiving the lady who was committed adultery. All of those miraculous, beautiful things that we see 
and hear and read of Jesus was from a place of love and devotion to the Father. It was an overflow of love. And I believe that Jesus is inviting us into this reality, particularly looking at John, John 1 through 12. Uh, we see Jesus doing public ministry, but then in beginning at John 13 through 17, Jesus draws away from public ministry and he begins to spend time with his disciples and he begins to prepare them for his death and his resurrection and his ascension. And they begin to have this dialogue, conversation known as some of the last conversations that God had, that Jesus had with his disciples. Some scholars call it the farewell discourse. But in these conversations, Jesus was encouraging the hearts of his disciples and he was giving them a new way of living. This brings me to the text for tonight, uh, John 17, 1, that at the end of Jesus' conversation, he shifts the audience from the disciples to the Father. So imagine you're on a journey with Jesus and he's, he's, he's pouring his, his heart out before you. He's sharing you what is, what is deeply connected to his heart and he's giving you a new way of living. And, and you're just in a beautiful conversation. It's just Jesus and the disciples. And then in the midst of the conversation, Jesus stops and he looks, he turns his face towards heaven. The Bible says he looks up towards heaven and he, he begins to pray. The ending of Jesus' conversation was the beginning of a conversation with God. The ending of his conversation with the disciples was the beginning of a conversation with God. And this was a very powerful and precious moment, imagining like the disciples, they have seen Jesus pray from afar. They've you know, waking up and early in the morning, they see Jesus on the mountain praying and, and so forth. And they've, they've asked him to teach them how to pray. And, and we, you know, love that prayer, the Lord's Prayer, which is actually the disciples' prayer. It says, when you pray, pray our Father. John 17 is, 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 is really the embodiment of the Lord's Prayer. This is the Lord's Prayer where he begins to pray his heart right in front of his disciples. And they get to see front seat themselves hear and witness the words of Jesus, the heart of Jesus towards the Father. And so now they have a glimpse between the conversation of God the Father and God the Son. John 17, 1, and it reads, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For if you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those who have given him. Now, this is eternal life. Everybody say, this is eternal life. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I'm going to stop there. Jesus is making it known through this prayer in verse 2 that he is the only way to eternal life. 
that the only way to eternal life is through him. And then he defines what eternal life is. He says, eternal life is knowing me. Eternal life is knowing God. But we have to remember that as Jesus is making this statement that he is not particularly in this moment making a theological point. He has made that before in John 14. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. There's no way to the father except through me. In this moment here in John 17, Jesus is not preaching a sermon. Jesus isn't trying to make a point. He is having a conversation with God. He is praying for you and he's praying for me. And he he was praying for his disciples. I love this about the heart of Jesus, that not only do he, what he calls us into, into his ways, he calls us to live like him, the commands of Christ. He calls us to live like him. And not only do he say, I want you to live like me. He's praying for us that we will live like him. He said, I don't, I just don't want to, to say I want you to know me. I am praying that you will know me. How many of you guys know what Jesus is doing right now? You ever think about that? What is Jesus doing right now? We know he he has ascended. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father. What is Jesus doing right now? According to Hebrews 5, It says that Jesus is our great high priest, our intercessor, who sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. Literally, right now, Jesus is praying for you, and he's praying for the world. And we see in John 17, Jesus praying for us, praying for the disciples, that we will know him and that we will know the Father. And this knowing isn't, again, an intellectual understanding of him, but this knowing is a relationship with him. It's knowing him. Knowing him beyond just nice sermons that we hear or podcasts that we listen to or songs that we sing. But the question is, do we know God? For this is what define us as believers is that we have a relationship with God. And I believe there's so many Christians who come to church on Sundays or Bible study or youth group or young adult group, group, whatever you want to call it, (laughs) whatever you want to call it, who don't know God or who depend, who depends on their, their preacher or their pastor to tell them who God is. Or those who feel that that they're okay, that they're believers and Christians because their parents are believers or their grandparents are believers. We cannot make it to be with God based off of someone's love for him. We have to have our own personal relationship with God 
that each of us should be able to have the confidence within ourselves to say, I know him, that he is more than a set of values or beliefs. He is a reality, that Jesus is the strongest reality in my life. And I love that Jesus lived out of a relationship with the Father, that his communion, that his conversation, that his relationship with God the Father was the strongest reality in his life. His relationship with God was more real than any physical or tangible thing around him. Can we say the same? Do our love and devotion for God, is it more real than any tangible thing that we can touch or see? Is he the strongest reality in our lives? And that's what he is praying for. Jesus is praying to the Father, God, help them to know us. So we see Jesus in this passage, he's making He's praying, he's saying that the eternal life, the only way to eternal life is to know him and to know the Father. And this truth and this reality that Jesus wants us to know him, that he wants us to know the one who we sing about, the one who we preach about and we teach about, right? That we are not offering up vain worship Jesus very much know what it looks like. He talks about those who, who draw near to him with their mouths and honor him with their lips, but their heart is far from it. Jesus talks about when the true worshipers will arise and will worship him in spirit and in truth. And that's what he is calling us into tonight. As we just look back at, at this scripture, we can learn so much just from this prayer of what it looks like in growing and knowing God. There's a few things I wanna kind of draw from this prayer. One of the first things I want to draw is that the way that we grow in knowing God is it begins with humility and brokenness before God. This prayer is so rich in humility. Jesus' prayer is, uh, he says, glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. Jesus' glorification, the glorification that Jesus is talking about isn't what we may imagine of success or influence or popularity. The glorification that Jesus is talking about when he says, when he is praying to the Father, glorify your son so that you may be glorified. He is talking about the pain and the crushing and the agony of the cross. That the beginning to know God begins with dying to ourselves. And I know this is such a challenge for, for our generation. It's been said that this is the most hyper-individualistic generation that have ever existed in human history, where it's all about us and us being enamorated by, by ourselves. And uh, I was doing some research a while back about selfies and like the like 
billions of selfies that are made every day. And it has become such an issue in some people's lives that it become classified as a mental illness called selfitis. Like it's a real thing. I'm like, I'm not joking. It's a real thing. But I believe it, it does capture where we are as a culture, where we are as a generation, that we are so in love and enamorated with ourselves that we have lost sight of what really matters, that we have lost sight of the invitation to know God. And we have been concerned by things which are worldly and temporal things that will not last. But knowing God is eternal life. Eternal life is knowing God. And I believe that that in a hyper-individualistic culture and generation that God wants to raise up a Jesus people that live in his way, that live countercultural, that shows the world that there is something greater. There is something bigger than yourselves. And it is knowing God, because in knowing God, those things that we struggle with, the pain, the hurt, the anxiety, the depression, He is the answer. He is the only one that can break the change of bondage. He's the only one that can lift us out of the pit of despair. He is the only answer. And that comes through a relationship with him. And he's inviting us, his people, to live in the way of knowing him so that other people will see your life, people who are drowning and dying in depression and anxiety and the mental illness epidemic that we find ourselves in, Jesus is raising up an answer. And the answer is you. The answer is his church living in his way. You are the answer. It is Jesus Christ, the spirit of the living God inside of you. He so desires it that he not only commands it through his scripture, he prays to the Father that we will get this. That we won't, quote unquote, play church, but that we will be the church that he has called us to be. So the first way that we begin to grow in knowing God is embracing humility and embracing brokenness before, the, before God. Matthew 5, 3 says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of the heaven is righteousness, joy, peace in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of heaven is not something just for when we are, when we are with him But the kingdom of heaven is for now. That he wants to release the kingdom of God, the realities of heaven in your world, in your family, in your your school, in your campus, in your workplace. He he calls us to pray. He says, our Father which art in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will 
be done. Knowing God isn't about getting to heaven. It's about bringing heaven to earth. It's about releasing the realities of the kingdom of God. Joy, peace, righteousness. It's about making your family, your campus, your city a better place because the kingdom of God is the better way. And all of these realities that Jesus lived out the kingdom, like Jesus was the walking kingdom of God. Everywhere he went, stuff happens because he was manifesting heaven everywhere he went. And it flowed out of his relationship with God. And the Bible says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that lives in us. And he says, and I want to use you to do even greater things. Knowing God begins with humility and brokenness before God. The way to grow in knowing God requires embracing a secret life of prayer and devotion to Christ. I love that in this prayer, Jesus is is Father, your Son. Father, Father, your Son, your Son, your Son. Father, your Son. That's how confident, rooted, and grounded Jesus was in his identity as a Son of God. And Jesus wants us to be rooted and grounded in our identity as sons and as daughters of God. That when we go before him in prayer and we say our father, that is, there's a, there is a connection because we know him as our father. And this is only cultivated through a secret life of pursuing him whether it is spending time in his word, whether it is spending time in prayer, whether it is spending time in worship. He wants wants to make your bedroom, your dorm room, wherever you may find yourself, your car, he wants to make it a secret place of prayer and devotion. I want to challenge you tonight. I want to challenge you tonight to spend time with God. I want to challenge you tonight to spend time, carve out time in your schedule just to read the word of God and to pray and to worship and to sing songs to him. And it doesn't matter whether you can sing or not. He doesn't care. He loves your voice. Like, seriously, he loves your voice. He created you. He loves your voice. He loves when you sing to him. He loves when you pray to him. I want to encourage you, if you're not doing that, I want, you to, I want to challenge you to create a secret life of prayer that your worship, that your public worship, that your public proclamation, that your lifestyle will carry weight because you know him, because you spend time with him, not just in settings like this, but you spend time with him in the privacy of your home and when you're alone, you're spending time with him. This is how we begin to cultivate a life of knowing God is by spending time with him. And even you're spending time with him. Don't do all the talking. Learn to be quiet and to listen. Jesus 
teach me to hear your voice. Help me to hear when you're speaking, however it may be. Give me direction. Show me your love, the love that you have for me. Take all the broken pieces of your life, the pain, the things that call the challenges, the things that, that keep you up, the things that are hard and challenging. Take all those things and give it to him. You know, in his word, he says, cast all of your cares upon me for I care for you. Like he's literally waiting for us to just cast all of those things at his feet. He's literally waiting for us to spend time with him and to carry all of those concerns to him. He's longing for those moments with you. Let's give him those moments. Let's create a secret life of pursuing him in the word, in prayer, and in worship. And this is the last point I want to share just from this prayer of Jesus that we see that the way to growing and knowing God is to carry his heart for others. Jesus, verse 6 to 19, Jesus was praying for his disciples. And verse 20 to 25, Jesus prays for all believers. I believe this is where we enter into like friendship with God when he begins to share his heart with us for other people. Like, the more and more, like, if, you know, you guys, some of your best friends, like, the more and more you grow in friendship, the more and more you learn about each other, and the more and more you begin to disclose your heart to each other. It's the same thing with God. The more we spend time with him, the more he begins to disclose his heart to us about things that he is praying for, things that he is interceding for. Family members, classmates, people who, who's not being covered in prayer that, that, that people have counted out or people have looked over. Jesus is interceding for them. And he's looking for people who will join in that intercession for other people. You know, when Jesus was uh, at the Garden of Gethsemane, he was asked the disciples to pray with them. He's like, he's like, dark, challenging moment. He asked the disciples to pray. So he goes and he's praying. He comes back and he sees the disciples sleeping. He's like, bro. He's like, can you not pray for an hour? He's like, I'm about to like die tomorrow. Can you guys at least pray for an hour? Stay awake for an hour. Matthew 24, it says, when the Son of Man return, will he find faith in earth? I believe Jesus is asking the same question as he sits at the right hand of the Father as the great intercessor, looking for those who will partner with his heart. To know God, to know God is to carry his heart for other people. Jesus did not just pray for himself, but he prayed for his disciples not only did he pray for his disciples, he prayed for the church, for the generation that was living in his day and for generations that will come. He was praying literally for us today. And I believe that God is inviting each of us in this room tonight to be intentional in our pursuit for him. 
that we will say, God, I really, really want to know you. I just don't want to sing about you or just talk about you or hear cool messages and podcasts about you, but I really want to know you. I want to, I want to know you deeply. I desire to know you. And whatever it takes, if it's spending time along with you, going on walks with whatever it looks like, I am willing to do what I have to do to cultivate a relationship with you. And as the last few weeks, you guys have been going and talking about the way of Jesus. And sometimes we can hear these things and it's, it, it sounds so big or grand or sometimes impossible. There's no way I can do this. There's no way that, like, you're not talking to me. You're talking to the person sitting next to me. Like, sometimes we're so easily to count ourselves out and say, okay, like, I can't do this. And you know what? You can't. <laughs> And that's where you start. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who acknowledge that they are nothing and they cannot do nothing outside of Christ. For those that God gives grace to advance his kingdom. That's where you start acknowledging, I cannot, but you can and something happens, and that something is the grace of God, which is his ability to do what only he can do through us. It is his ability to do the things that we cannot do in our own strength or might, the things that are too hard, the things that are too difficult, even the commands of Christ, the way in which he has called us to live. We cannot do it. But when we acknowledge that, he comes and fills us with supernatural grace, that empowers us to do the impossible. And I believe that God, he does not call us into something that he's not willing to give us the grace and the provision of heaven to walk out. And so it may seem like this is hard. I can't do this. This is for someone else. Jesus is like, no, it's for you. And I am rich in mercy and I am rich in grace. Jesus is never going to go broke in his mercy or his grace. He has plenty of grace and mercy to empower us to be and become who he has called us to be. How many of you guys believe that tonight? That he has given you grace to do and become. And so I just want to end with this prayer. And if in your heart tonight, if you're like, I, I want to know him, like I, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, but I don't know if I can say I know him. I don't know if I can, if I walk in that confidence of, of being rooted and grounded in my identity as a son and as a daughter. I don't know, like I sing these songs and I, I, I pray these prayers, but I don't know how connected my heart is to him. If that's you, I just want you to close your eyes, bow your head, and we're just going to pray together. If you say, I want to know him, 
deeper. I want to cultivate a relationship with him that cannot be shaken by any cultural storm, that cannot be shaken by any crisis, that cannot be be shaken by any person or thing, a love that runs so deep that, that I am unmovable in Christ. That type of relationship that people see in your life and they say, I don't know who you are or, or, or who you, it's just something different about you. And you'll be able to say it's because I know the way. I know Jesus. Like I know him, know him. He's just not a set of belief. He's not just a set of values. But he is a reality. That's, that's the prayer tonight. Jesus, make yourself a reality in our lives Make yourself a reality in our hearts. Jesus, like your relationship with God the Father was the strongest reality in your life. Let our relationship with you be the strongest reality in our life. Jesus, we ask not only that you answer our prayer tonight to know you, God, we ask that you answer the prayer of Jesus for us to know you. And as your word said, that you are a giver of good gifts, that you are not a father that if a child has for bread, that you'll give them a stone. Because so I'm believing tonight by faith that hearts yielded to you in this room tonight, that you are giving us grace to know you. That you are giving us grace to love you. I'm believing by faith tonight that many in this room will leave tonight commissioned into a secret life of seeking your face be commissioned into the secret place of prayer and of worship, of devotion and adoration, of meditation, of your scripture, of your word. I'm believing by faith tonight that many will leave this room with minds renewed through your word. I'm believing by faith tonight that you are moving in hearts. I'm believing by faith tonight that your anointing is destroying yokes and that people are being set free in their identity in you, that people are being set free from the bondage of just mediocre Christianity and are stepping into the way of Christ, Jesus become our reality, become our strongest reality. In Jesus' name.